You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Bow your heads with me. Let's pray. Father God, uh, we come before you this evening ready to hear from you, ready to hear from your word. Lord, I pray that, uh, that you would open our hearts to truly hear from you on this topic of money. Lord, I, I, uh, I get the fear, I get the angst, I get the control issue, I get, I get all these things when it comes to money. And Lord, my concern is that some of us might come in this evening already guarded, we may already have our fists up, so to speak, in terms of, um, in terms of how well we might hear from you. And so, God, I pray that your spirit would just really open us up to hear from you. I pray uh, even just for myself as I get ready to preach from this text, Lord, that it would be you speaking, Lord, that you would remove all fears, that you would remove any resistance, that you would remove any insecurity, and that you would just give all of us in this room a real deep and abiding trust in you to speak through your word and to do a change, deep work uh, of change uh, within our hearts. So Lord, I just pray that and uh, ask you to do it, and I trust you to, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. First Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 through 10. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, <clears throat> he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has a healthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into the world. And we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare. Into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Verse 10 says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Verse 10 is most likely the key text of this passage that we're about to study this evening. It is located right in the middle the epistle of 1 Timothy, which is a letter written by an apostle. 1 Timothy is a letter that was written by the apostle Paul to Timothy, who, who's not only his son in the faith, but is also a young church planter that the apostle Paul left in Ephesus to continue the work of planting the church there that apostle Paul had begun. And throughout this letter, what Paul does is he tells Timothy how to deal with many different obstacles that are arising in his ministry. 
Paul gives Timothy instructions on how to handle false teachers. Gives him instructions to remember to preach the gospel faithfully. To be committed to praying for everyone. Paul explains to Timothy what the qualifications for elders and deacons and leaders are in the church. He explains also that some people will walk away from the faith completely. He challenges Timothy to serve Jesus faithfully. And he tells Timothy how to manage people in the church that he is planting. And then towards the end of the letter, letter, as we pick it up in chapter 6, he explains how to know if you are a person who does or does not love money. One of the key phrases that Paul uses to address this issue and this topic of loving money, again, is in verse 10, where he says, The love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. The first thing that we see in this text is this. We see a person who loves money. Ask yourself this question. How do I know if I'm a person who loves money? How do I know? What what is my mental picture of someone who loves money? What is the painting in front of me if I were to answer the question of what it looks like to be a person who loves money? Money. What behaviors, what behaviors do you think would characterize a person's life who loves money? In verses 3 through 5, Paul tells Timothy that a person who loves money does three things. They give to get, they oppose the gospel, and they have a life that is full of chaos. Verse 5, Paul tells Timothy that a person who loves money actually imagines or believes that godliness is a means of gain. If you love money, if you love money, then somewhere deep down inside of the interiors of your life, you believe that following God and doing godly things and saying godly things will result in financial gain or financial blessing. This type of theology is most noticeable in the health, the wealth, and the prosperity teachers that are all over the world. My opinion And I think the biblical opinion on these guys is that they prostitute the message of the gospel. They live extravagant lives that are underwritten by the financial donations of the people who buy into their messages of give money to get money and be healthy, wealthy, and wise. A person who loves money gives to get. The thing about verse 5 as we kind of chop that up is it's really just kind of the end of Paul's rant to Timothy about a person who loves money. Go back to verse 3 and 4 and notice Paul also tells Timothy that a person who loves money is someone who teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness. In other words, if you love money, then your life will be characterized by doctrines or teachings and beliefs that are heretical, untrue, unstable, contrary, and in opposition to the doctrines or the teachings of Jesus, which produce godliness. A person who loves money actually opposes the plain and literal teachings of the gospel. If you're a person who loves money, then you will resist and reject the teaching of the gospel, which says that in 
Christ, we have everything we could ever possibly need. If you are a person who loves money, then you are constantly resisting and rejecting this message that says that in Christ, I have everything. I have no other need outside of Christ. If you love money, you resist that gospel. If you're a person who loves money, you will reject that gospel and you will actively, listen, actively preach a different and false gospel, not just with your words, but also with your lifestyle. You will communicate a false gospel which says that you, not God, is the ultimate dictator of right and wrong in your life. You will ultimately set yourself up as the God of your life. You will not find satisfaction, listen to that word, satisfaction in Christ alone. You will always be seeking and looking for satisfaction outside of Christ and His provision for you in the Gospel. Your pursuit of more money and your love of more money will continuously quench any joy, any satisfaction that you could find in Christ. The person who loves money opposes the Gospel. That's not all. And all that Paul says to Timothy, because if you look in verse 4, Paul also tells Timothy this. He says that the person who loves money is puffed up with conceit. You think about that phrase. Puffed up with conceit. It's the idea of a marshmallow. A few of us guys here in the room, we look like marshmallows. Right, Dave? That's right. We are marshmallows. It's that picture that you'll be puffed up like a marshmallow with conceit, which is self-obsession or self-focus. Conceit. It's an inability to see anywhere past the tip of your own nose. That's what conceit is. A person who loves money is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant frictions among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. In other words, if you are a person who loves money, then according to the Apostle Paul, as he writes to Timothy, if you love money, you will be puffed up with conceit, filled with self-obsession. You'll believe that you have all the right answers for everything, when in reality you know nothing about anything which will be proven by your unhealthy craving for controversy. Which will produce quarrels and arguments about the use of words. And if you love money, you'll be envious or jealous of what other people have that you do not have that you think you must have. You'll always, always be stirring up, like stirring the pot. You'll always be stirring up dissension or division which erodes the peace of God that should be present among God's people. You'll slander or say untruthful things about other people so that you can make yourself look better and maybe even try to advance yourself up the corporate ladder or just advance yourself up into a higher, more positive position in other people's minds so that they might have better opinions of you. If you love money, you'll be suspicious of other people's intentions all the time. You'll attach evil motives to everything they think 
say and do, and you'll constantly, constantly experience friction, conflict with other people. The reality is this, if you're a person who loves money, then you are a person who is depraved in your thinking or darkened in your thinking. It means there's no light that has been shining into your mind to train you to think differently. You'll continue to think in the same old ways you thought about money. No transformation, no light. Depraved in the ways of your thinking. Darkened in your thinking. Deprived or robbed of the truth of the gospel. Having the appearance of good, but not being good. If you're a person who loves money, then then you've believed a lie. You've believed a lie. Which says that money is the answer to your problems when in reality, it's your love of money which drowns out any love of God. That is the real problem. You have not found satisfaction in God. You have not found that loving God because of the way that He has loved you gives you any satisfaction or joy. And in fact, all you can think about and obsess about is more money, more ways of making money. A person who loves money has a chaotic life. Are you a person who loves money? Do you give thinking, what can I get in return? Do you oppose the gospel with your words and your lifestyle? Is your life full of a chaotic mess because of your unhealthy craving and desire to get more money? My prayer is that the Lord would heal us of our idols and produce right spirits within every one of us. It's my prayer. My prayer is that the Lord would convict every one of us of our sin of loving money more than Him. And that He would at the same time then turn our hearts toward the cross of Christ once again. Where God spent, listen, God spent His Son on the cross for you and I. That's what He spent. Spent His Son on the cross for you and I so that each of us could be forgiven set free, changed. Pray that God would change us from being a people who give to get into a people who give because we clearly see the infinite amount of God's gift towards us in the cross of Christ. I pray that that God would change us from being a people who oppose the gospel in our words and in our deeds into a people who confirm and proclaim the gospel through our lives. I pray, my prayer, my deep prayer is that God would change us from being a people who are marked by the chaos of sin in our lives into a people who are characterized by the presence of the peace of God. Is the peace of God present in your life? Is your life full of chaos because of your unhealthy focus and love for money? Are you a person who loves money? Are you a person who gives to get? Are you a person who opposes the gospel with your words and your lifestyle? Are you a person whose life is characterized and marked by the presence of chaos of sin. 
So the next thing we see in the text is a person who doesn't love money. Paul begins his rant with Timothy <coughs> to explain to him what it looks like to be a person who does love money. See, one of the, one of the contextual pieces, big word contextual, within context of this book, one of the big things that Paul is writing to Timothy about is the fact that there are many people who have risen up within the church who have become false teachers. They've begun to teach things in regards to money that are heretical and false. And Paul is telling Timothy, you need to combat this. You need to make sure you speak to this. We always view threats as external, right? We always say, man, it's those people out there. They are the problem. It's the terrorists. They are the problem. It's those Democrats. They are the problem. Those Republicans. They are. It's everybody out there. It's the problem. Paul writes this to Timothy, saying, hey, Timothy, and you've got a flock of people, and all of us inside this room, we are the problem, right? So God's chosen people. There's kids, there's children. And the reality is that as Paul writes to Timothy about this topic, this subject of money, is he's saying, hey, address this really well. Paint the picture of what it looks like to be a person who loves money. And then talk about what it looks like to be a person who doesn't love money. What do you think the characteristics of a person who doesn't love money would be? And if we're going to let the Holy Spirit just examine our hearts in this room this evening, then what would be the characteristics and the behavior and the beliefs and the desires of a person's life who does not love money? Paul tells Timothy, verses 6-8, through that a person who does not love money is actually someone who is content with becoming more like Christ, content with having nothing of material value and content with the basic necessities. Paul tells Timothy that a a person who doesn't love money, look back at the verse, verse 6, he tells him, he says, a person that doesn't love money understands that godliness with contentment is great gain. It's really interesting how he puts these words together. I love the way Paul mixes and mashes words together. Because if you take these words, contentment, godliness, and great gain, you really have to wrestle with them for a little bit. Godliness, contentment, great gain. When I think of contentment, I don't think of gaining. When you think of gaining, you think of pressing forward. You think of running a race. You think of striving to earn. You think of earning and gaining something that you didn't previously have. Paul's talking to Timothy about godliness and contentment and gain. He's actually saying the greatest thing that you could gain is godliness that is characterized by contentment. Is your life characterized by contentment? Are you always striving to get more? Striving to change the way people see you? Striving to get your paycheck changed? Striving to buy that next shiny thing that you've always wanted? 
What is it in your mind that is always kind of dominating you? Are you content in Christ? Are you content with being coming like Christ? Or are you always striving? He says, godliness with contentment is great gain. In other words, if you're a person who doesn't love money, then you will be content, comfortable, at ease, at rest, satisfied. Satisfied. What satisfies you? What is it that you thirst and hunger for the most? What do you desire the most? Are you satisfied in Christ? Is He the one that satisfies you? Is He who you always run to? Paul says in Philippians 2, 5, and 6 that Jesus was in the form of God but did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In other words, Jesus wasn't concerned with grasping equality with God because he is God. He didn't have to grasp that. But you and I, this is our struggle. This is our struggle. We want to be the king of our lives. We want to hold the iron scepter. We want to have the crown on our head. We want to be in charge. We want to be in control. We want to be the hero. So we're always trying to dethrone Christ and place ourselves on that throne. Listen, listen here. A little news flash for all of us. All of us make unhealthy rulers at best. We mess it up every day. I mess up my rule and reign as dad. I mess up my rule and reign as husband. Ask my wife, she'll tell you. I mess up my rule and reign as pastor. Often mess up my rule and reign as friend. Why? Because I'm broken. I'm broken. Jesus not broken. Jesus is not broken. This is why you and I, if you're here and you trust in Him and you proclaim His name, this is why we follow Him. He came as the perfect example of godliness. He was characterized by servanthood, humility, obedience, sacrificial love. This is the characterization of Jesus. When Paul tells Timothy, help people become more godly with contentment, because that's great gain, Paul has in his mind the gospel message which he always preached, which the point of was the cross of Christ. Jesus was the point of every message that Paul preached. And it should be the point of every message you and I preach or hear. Paul also said in Philippians 4.11-13 that he had learned the secret of being content. So in whatever situation, I know how to be brought low, I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him 
who strengthens me. In other words, Paul, Paul was a person who didn't love money because he was content with becoming more like Christ because it was Christ who sustained him. It was Christ who satisfied him. It was Christ who comforted him. It was in Christ whom he rested in. He wasn't always searching for more. He wasn't always looking for more. He was satisfied in Christ. He didn't need another dollar in his bank account. All he needed was Christ. He would cling to his bloody Savior. That was his message. It should be the message of our lives. Like a person who doesn't love money is someone who is content, content, satisfied with becoming more like Christ. Paul adds a few more brushstrokes to his canvas portrait of a person who doesn't love money in verse 7. Look at verse 7. He reminds Timothy that we brought nothing into the world. We brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out with us. We brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. Think about it with me. Like when you came into this world, you were naked. For some of us, that's a very scary thing. You came in naked and you were unable to gain anything, unable to earn anything. You couldn't make a dime. You couldn't go to work. Couldn't even change your own diaper. You couldn't even get a hold of a butt wipe to change your diaper with, to wipe your mess up with. This is how you came into this world and look at you now sitting in a seat. You're no different now than you were then except for you have clothes on. Thank God that we all have clothes on. <laughs> you couldn't get clothing. You couldn't help yourself. You came into this world, you had nothing. Paul tells Timothy, remind them. Remind them that they got nothing. They had nothing when they came. They'll have nothing when they leave. Philip Ryken in his excellent commentary on this passage recounts the story of a millionaire. How many of you would like to be millionaires? All of us. It's okay, I'll, just, I'll raise the hand for all of us. All of us would like to be millionaires. There's not one of us that sits in this room that would not love to be a millionaire. It would be awesome, wouldn't it? Recounts the story of a millionaire. When he died, everyone wanted to know what was in his will. So they whispered to the minister, how much, how much did he leave behind? Everything! Everything, the minister said. Everything. He couldn't take anything with him. He left it all behind. <laughs> the millionaire took nothing with him. He left everything behind. A person who doesn't love money is content with having nothing of material value. You came into this world with nothing of material value. You'll leave with nothing of material value. All of your belongings... All of your money will all be left at the graveside when they bury you. Paul wraps up his exhortation on being a person who doesn't love money by saying this in verse 8. He says this, says, If we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. 
In other words, if you are a person who doesn't love money, you will not be seeking to gain more than the basic necessities of life. You will have learned to be content, comfortable, at ease, at rest, satisfied with the basic necessities of food and clothing. If you're a person who does not love money, then you won't be seeking after more stuff, more things, more junk, more money. A person who doesn't love money is content with having the basic necessities. Are you a person who doesn't love money? Are you content with becoming more like Christ? Are you content with having nothing of material value? Are you content with having the basic necessities of life? And my prayer is this. My prayer is that the Lord would heal us from our money-loving lifestyles and change us into people who are content, comfortable, at ease, rested, at peace, satisfied, becoming more like Christ, having nothing of material value other than the basic necessities. My prayer is that the Lord would forgive us even, forgive us and set us free from the sin of trying to gain more money at the expense, at the expense of not being completely satisfied in becoming more like Christ. My prayer is that God would forgive us and set us free from trying to fill our lives with more money, more stuff, more junk. A prayer that the Lord would help us. Help us to be content with having nothing of material value. Prayers that the Holy Spirit would give all of us a deep sense of contentment or satisfaction in having only the basic necessities. Are you a person who doesn't love money? Are you a person who is content with becoming more and more like Christ? Are you a person who is content with having nothing of material value? Are you a person who is content with having only the basic necessities? I remember the wealthy man who came and found Jesus in Scripture. Came and he said, how can I be part of your kingdom? How can I be part of your family, Jesus? done everything you've asked me to do in the law. I've kept it entirely. Jesus says, you know what? Take everything that you own and give it away to the poor. And at that point, you can be part of the kingdom. That guy, the text tells us, walked away sad. I think Jesus also said somewhere else in the Scriptures that it was much harder for a wealthy man to enter into the kingdom of God than it is for an eye, a camel to go through the eye of a needle. All commentary joking aside on all of that, Jesus is using real extravagant language to get our attention. To simply say, look, if you're wealthy, it's really hard for you to stay focused on Jesus. It's almost as though Jesus is saying, the only thing that should be most important in your life is me. If there's anything that stands in between that, then you run the risk of being a person who loves money. 
Are you a person who does not, or are you a person who does? The final verses of our text give us a few more things. <clears throat> final verses of our text in verses 9 through 10, we see the root of loving money. We've already chopped up a little bit of what, what it looks like to be a person who loves money. We've chopped up a little bit of what it looks like to be a person who doesn't love money. And now we land in verses 9 and 10 and we, we see this root of loving money. As we look at it again, if you've got your Bibles open in front of you, if you have a way of highlighting or underlining, I want you to underline the words you see on the screen. Desires. Desire. Craving. And that phrase in verse 10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. Let me read it, verses 9-10, through 10, as you underline and highlight. 16 words, by the way. 16 words if you're using the ESV translation that I'm asking you to highlight and underline and remember. One of the things that I'm really convinced of in regards to people who call themselves Christians, us in this room, is that we do not get into God's Word enough. We do not spend enough time really drilling down and mining the depths of what God's Word says. These 16 words that we would underline and highlight I think it was Spurgeon that said, when we study God's word, we should walk away with ink on our noses because we've been so close to his word and we've been so into his word that it's now marked us. Ink on the nose. It should mark you. 16 words. Verse 9, but those who desire, underline that, to be rich, fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Verse 10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pains. And one of the things I said earlier was that the key phrase in this study is probably verse 10, which says... For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. And most of you, most of you are probably familiar with it and have probably heard the misquote of that passage many times. It's typically misquoted this way. Most people would say, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. And I would argue, no, that's wrong because that's not what the passage says the reality of this phrase is that Paul wanted Timothy and he wants us to know and he wanted the church in Ephesus to understand that a root of all kinds of evils is the love of money. Up until now, Paul has been explaining all of the issues that are on the surface. All the kinds of evils. Follow? All the fruit... All the visual evidences of people who either love money or don't love money. But now, in verses 9-10, through 10, the Apostle Paul doesn't just get at the root of the issue, which is the love of money, but he also gets below the root of the issue. That's my question. Like, I know there's a root. I get that there's fruit. What's below that? Think with me for a minute. Think with me back. Start over again with me for a moment in your mind. Think through this. We've learned that on the surface, above ground, the things that you can see in people's lives, here's what you see. A person loves money if they give to get. 
and I gave all of this, and it didn't produce what I thought it would. I took my family to church every week, and we're still a wreck. God, didn't work. Give to get. Man, I gave $100 to that church last month. I'm still struggling to get my bills paid. God, where were you? Give to get, right? A person loves money if they oppose the message of the gospel. Oppose the message of the gospel. The gospel says Jesus saves. The gospel says Jesus changes. The gospel says you and I place our faith and our hope and our trust in Him and He changes us. Yet, yet look at our lives. Do our lives preach the gospel? The way that we use our words, the way that we relate to others, do our lives preach the message of the gospel? Our deep, abiding, satisfying trust in God or do we preach something that opposes the gospel, our lives and our words? Paul teaches us that a person loves money if they live Live in the chaos of sin. Is your life marked by chaos? All this division, conflict. They live in the chaos of sin. The person loves money if they are not content or satisfied with becoming more like Christ. Are you satisfied with becoming more like Christ? Is that you? As I'm preaching, are you, is there something welling up inside of you that says, I want to be more like Jesus? Uh, maybe I haven't always wanted that, but I want to be more like I want to be content with being more like Jesus. If that desire is welling up inside of you, that is the Holy Spirit speaking to you. You're satisfied becoming more like Christ. Satisfied, content with having nothing of material value. If Everything you had, if like Job, if like Job from the Old Testament, every single thing that you love and find your satisfaction and your identity in, if it was all taken away right now, would you still be satisfied in God? Would He still be enough for you? Or would you, like Job's wife, think to yourself, I'm going to curse God now and die? Job was another one who made this statement, and naked I came from the womb, and naked I will leave. Job knew this. Job got this. why he was a righteous man. That's why God was willing, get this, willing to let Satan test him by taking away everything he had. And it wasn't just financial things. It wasn't just, it wasn't just his house and all his belongings. It was his family, all his children. All murdered, killed, everything gone. And of course, Job had these friends that came and sat with him and thought they could talk sense into him. It's a great story. Like Job, if everything was taken away from you and all you have is the basic necessities of the clothes on your back and a hot meal, would you be satisfied in God? These are all the surface things that we've been talking about. Surface things with a root, with a root that feeds the vegetation of our lives. Words chosen intentionally. Roots with vegetation of our lives. Paul identifies that root as the root of the love of money. My question is this. 
My question is this, and it should be yours. If we know the visible evidence above the surface is indicative of a specific root that is growing deep within you, then what is below the root? What is it that the root is growing in? What is it that feeds that root? What keeps the root alive? Why is that root allowed to live inside of you or me? What kind of soil is the root growing in? Some of you are familiar with your Bibles enough to remember the story of Jesus that Jesus shared, the parable, the sower and the seed. Sower goes out, casts the seed wherever it may fall. Some soil springs up real quick in, dies when the sun comes up. Some soil doesn't necessarily grab a hold of and the birds come and steal the seed, takes off. Some of the other soil, it grows real nicely and it's really less the story of a sower and less the story of a seed and much more the soil, the story, much more the story of the soil. Different kinds of soil. Soil is the heart. From within the heart, it's the fountain of life. It's from within the heart that all things grow. If you look back at verses 9 through 10, notice. Notice the other three words I ask you to underline outside of that root of loving money. Other three words desire, desires, and craving. The meaning of those three words could be summed up in one word obsession. Obsession. What do you obsess about? What do you obsess about? The root of loving money grows in the soil of our obsessions. When the Powerball gets that big, what do you obsess about? Ouch. You have a root of loving money deep within you when you obsess over new plans to be rich. That phrase, to be rich, in verse 9, means not necessarily to be wealthy. Job was wealthy. He was the wealthiest man who lived. That's not the issue. The issue is the desire to be rich, which literally kind of in the Greek text means to have more money than you have at the present moment, which then causes you to give in to the temptation of pursuing new forms of making money that become bigger traps than the ones that you are already caught in. A root of loving money deep within you when you obsess over new plans for making more money that runs against all sensible forms of planning and are actually harmful and damaging to you and your family around you. New plans of money which continue to lead you into more ruin and more destruction. You have a root of loving money deep within you when you obsess over new plans for making more money which then causes you to walk towards trusting in your abilities instead of trusting in Jesus to save you, change you, and provide for you. Heart is the issue. 
What does your heart obsess over? The question is not what kind of roots are growing inside of you. The question is, what kind of heart do you have inside of you? When you have a root of loving money growing deep within you, like you could work to control all of your behavior on top of the surface. Control that all day long if you will. It'll wear you out and you will die. You will die. Far from Christ. <coughs> you could work to cut out the root of loving money all day long. You could dig away and dig away and dig away at it. But the reality is the heart is the issue. What does your heart obsess over? What are you satisfied in? What do you find rest in? What satisfies you? What do you obsess over? Where do you find your rest? Is it in the arms of Jesus? When your heart loves money, when you are obsessed with money, and the only way, the only way to stop loving money is to own the sin in your heart. Own it. Now, I obsess over money. Confess the sin in your heart. I've been obsessing over money. I've been worried about how to pay my bills. I've been worried about how to finish all these crazy projects around our house that have been lasting for the last couple of years. This is the truth. I've been worried about how to pay off the credit card debt. Got kids growing up. I have no idea how I'm going to buy them more vehicles as they get older. Got kids heading off to college. I have no clue how we're going to pay for that. The Lord has put me in charge of a church family and I have no clue how to help budget for that and how to, how to make sure that the bills are going to get paid every week. I, so there are days when I obsess over money. Struggle with that. And we need to own the sin in our heart, confess the sin in our hearts and believe, believe, catch the word, catch the word, believe that Jesus has paid the price for your sin. He's paid it. No amount of earning or fat checks that you or I can get will change our stance in front of our Father in heaven. And there's nothing that you and I can do outside of the provision of the Lord anyways that will change our financial standing here on this earth. Ask God to forgive you of your sin. Ask Him to give you a new heart so that the old roots will die. Ask Him to give you a new heart so that the old roots will die. And so that you'll begin to love God instead of loving money. Our prayer is simply that the Lord would forgive us and change us and set us free from the bondage and the idolatry of the deep roots of loving money. Our prayer is that the Lord would give us new desires, new obsessions, new satisfaction flowing from new hearts which delight, delight, Take joy in loving Christ alone. We invite our music team forward as we wrap up. Well, summary is they're coming. A person who loves money is a person who gives to get, who opposes the message of the gospel, who lives in the chaos of sin. On the flip side, a person who doesn't love money is content, satisfied with becoming more like Christ and 
is content with having nothing of material value except the basic necessities. A person who has a root of loving money has a heart that is obsessed with money instead of God. Are you a person who loves money or loves God? Let's pray. Father, Father, please forgive us. Father, I, I just I, I think of Nehemiah. When, when, when Nehemiah realized that the walls of Jerusalem, your holy city, the holy city that, that, would, that would house your people, your church, your family, when, when he heard of the sin of Israel and realized that the judgment that had fallen upon them had caused that city to then lay in ruins and destruction. Nehemiah's response was to kneel and to pray and to fast for months because of the ruin. We repented, asked for forgiveness. God, please forgive us. Help us to be people who no longer love money. Help us be people who have new hearts which have begun to love you. Please forgive us and change us and set us free from the bondage and the idolatry of the deep roots of loving money. Please give us new desires, new obsessions, new satisfaction flowing from new hearts which delight in loving you and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. So we wrap up our time. I'd like to invite you to worship together, to stand and to worship together. We'll also engage in communion. And as we do, as you've thought about money and you've thought about the price and the cost, you think about the currency of Jesus' life. God did not think that it was too small a price to pay to win us back from the slavery and the bondage and the power of sin so he sent his son to die on a cross so that you and I could confess and own and repent and turn from our sinful ways and ask him to change us and transform us and heal us and make us into new people. This is the picture of the cross. Nothing withheld, not a drop of blood withheld for you or for I. So that when we turn to him, we could be given new hearts so that new roots could grow so that we could be changed from people whose desires and obsessions were for external worldly things. We could be changed from that into people whose desires and obsessions are now God alone. Those roots would grow, and on the surface there would be fruit that proved it. If you're here with us, you're a believer, you believe in Christ, you trust in Christ. Maybe even in these moments was the first time you believed in Christ, trusted in Christ, placed your faith and your hope in Christ then communion is for you because you're part of the family and all heaven is going crazy. So if you're a believer, I invite you to come. If you are not a believer and you say, I don't know if I believe in Jesus, I just invite you not to partake in communion because it would be a religious tradition for you and it would be meaningless and we don't want you to take part in that. So only come if you're a believer this evening. There'll be a few of us near the front to pray with you as well if you have needs, financial needs, financial pressures deep, dark obsessions in your life that you need prayer over. Maybe you need to give your life to the Lord and say, today I want to surrender to Him. We'd like to pray with you for that. So there will be two of us near the front to pray with you. Thanks for letting me preach tonight. I love you guys. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.